see what the plunder of the conquistadors helped build back in Spain at the massive palace at El Escorial. Besides the Egyptian pyramids, it was the biggest building ever built. Coming up in the hour ahead, guides from Spain recommend easy side trips from Madrid to sites that are designed to impress. It's gotten easier than ever to get around in Spain. Recent improvements to their rail system have made the trains of Spain some of the fastest in the world. You used to have to hop on a bus and travel nine or ten hours on a bus, but nowadays you can just get on the Ave and two and a half or three hours, you're there, and you're in the city centers. And when you head south to Seville, get ready for a soulful time. The locals credit it to a feeling they call duende. When you're walking along the banks of the river and suddenly that breeze makes you feel you're alive. You're there and there's magic in the air. Stay with us for an hour of insider tips for enjoying Spain. Coming up pronto, it's Travel with Rick Steves. Because October 12th has so many different historical connotations in Spain, about 30 years ago, they decided to combine all the different national holidays into one and call it National Day. The military puts on parades and air shows. Some mark the anniversary of Columbus landing in the New World. The devout observe a feast day that commemorates an apparition of the Virgin Mary at Zaragoza. And several Latin American countries honor their Hispanic heritage from the Old World also on October 12th and call it Dia de la Raza. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're celebrating Spain's National Day with an hour of expert advice from Spanish tour guides. They'll take your calls at 877-333-7425. We'll explore the passionate traditions of southern Spain and Andalusia and get ideas for interesting day trips from Madrid in just a bit. Let's start with a look at how much easier it's become to take in whatever you want to see and do across Spain. While it's a bit smaller than Texas, Spain is one of the largest countries in Europe. Infrastructure investment in recent years has improved its highways and especially its rail lines into some of the best in the world. To help you get around smartly in Spain, we're joined by Madrid-based tour guides Federico Garcia Barroso and Amanda Buttinger. Federico, Amanda, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Federico, I mean, I remember the old days in Spain when mm-hmm. you'd be clip-clopping along on a train in mm-hmm. La Mancha. All of a sudden, they'd stop in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and the train would pull off, and it would leave me all alone in a single car, all alone there in the middle of Don Quixote <laughs> country. And I was wondering, what am I going to do? Am I going to just die of thirst here? And then half an hour later, another train would come along and pick up my train and roll on to the next town. Uh, those days... Um, are gone. Are gone. Yeah, but, that's but a history. Can you remember those kind of days in Spain yes, transportation? Yes, been guiding people for many years all over. Not many people will believe nowadays, Rick, that Spain has right now the most modern fleet of high-speed trains in Europe. The train is not actually reaching every corner in Spain. We are working on that. We actually have two-thirds of the territory already covered. But the train is actually the most modern train in Europe right now. Is this the AVE? Is that what that's called? AVE, which is a wonderful word because A-V-E, those are the initials in the Spanish language, Alta Velocidad Española, which means Spanish high speed. And the same word in Spanish means bird, and the trains fly. Is Talgo another Spanish word? So exactly. Talgo is close to be high speed train. It is Talgo would be actually the best train in Spain without being high speed. Oh, okay. And if I'm not wrong, Spain sold those Talgo trains modern trains, by the way, to some states in America. Yeah, I've, I've heard yeah. people bragging about we're going to get new Spanish trains, and yeah. I was in the Czech Republic, I believe it was, and they've got a new Talgo so. train and so mm-hmm. on. So this is quite impressive, and it is a little bit contrary to a lot of people's impressions of Spain because in the old days it really was quite uh, ramshackle, mm-hmm. but today 
it is really a delight to get across Spain on those amazing space-age bullet trains, the AVE. Amanda, when you're traveling in Spain, there are certain challenges. Uh, Madrid to Barcelona. Everybody should see Madrid and Barcelona when they go to Spain. What are the options? What's the best way to get from I'd Madrid I'd say the best Barcelona? way, you used to have to hop on a bus and travel nine or ten hours on a bus, but nowadays you can just get on the AVE and two and a half for three hours, you're there. It's easier two than going to the airport. You, you don't know, have to get there two hours ahead of time and check in. You're in the city centers. Last time I was in Spain, I just, I, I was working with my travel agent. I just thought, heck, I'll fly, you know, and I thought I was giving myself, a, doing myself a favor. And then I got to the airport and I realized, you know, by the time I get onto the airplane in Madrid at the airport, oh, I could definitely. almost be in, Mar- in Barcelona oh, by definitely. the train. Definitely. So you wouldn't, even though the flights are cheap, you would take the Ave. Train. I would definitely take the Ave. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. It's safe, cool, fast, and inexpensive. And you can you get up and walk around and see the countryside. And you're getting a beautiful yeah. shot of the countryside. And uh, you know, if you're if you're tying that in with your trip, you would not want to have a car in Barcelona or Madrid. Oh no, you'd not pick at all. up your yeah. car after doing the two mm-hmm. great cities mm-hmm. that way. Amanda Buttinger and Federico Garcia Borroso specialize in showing American visitors the highlights of Spain from their home bases in Madrid. They're updating us on Spain's modernized transit options. Nancy from Ventura in California joins us on the listener line at 877-333-RIC. Nancy, thanks for calling. Oh, thanks for taking it. This is very exciting for me. We recently were in Italy, and we rode the high-speed train across Italy from... um, Florence to um, the Cinque, and one of the things that we noticed was there was no way of getting, we were on a very cramped first-class car, and there was no way of getting off the car with people coming in and being very brusque and, and pushing us back into our seats. We almost didn't make it off the train in order to get out. Wow. And I'm wondering, is there some way of, are they taking care of that now? Is This is a problem, uh, Nancy, all over Europe, is when you anticipate your uh, departure, get out of your seat, get right down to the uh, end of the car, and when the door opens, it's expected that anybody getting off squirts out really quickly because there's probably a lot of people just, you know, hell-bent on getting in there and grabbing a seat. So they try to make room for people to get out if they're there ready to squirt out when the door opens. But if you're a little bit behind the beat, once they start coming on, it's going to be like swimming upstream on a very steep river to get out, and, and that can be kind of scary. That's a really good idea. Yeah, on the Spanish trains, I know they do announce the mm-hmm. next stop with yeah. about 15 minutes ahead of time, so you yeah. know to start So get out of your, your seat, magazines. grab your luggage, yeah. get there, yeah. and even if you have to stand for five minutes at the door, mm-hmm. I think that's probably a wise idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, no problem. Thanks a lot. You guys take care. Okay, bye now. And Joan's calling in from Gillette in New Jersey. Joan, thanks for your call. Thank you so much. Um, we're traveling to Spain with our two uh, teens. And I'm a little confused. I've been reading everything I can about train travel in Spain. You know, my question is kind of, is it worth it to get a train pass? I mean, we're probably going to take about four train rides over the course of our trip. Or is it better, you know, it seems like you can get a much better discount if you just wait until 61 days before you travel and then go online and try and, you know, grab the discounted rate. If you get a ticket with mm, enough time and anticipation, you can get better prices. That mm-hmm. is true. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is point true. to point, not the train pass. Yeah, it's a point yeah. to point. Joan, you got to travel a lot to justify the purchase of a train pass. Are you a family yeah, of... Yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah, in some countries, a train pass pays off quicker, but in Spain, it's pretty cheap by the kilometer, and uh, I think it's nice. Plus... Remember, on occasion, the train system can be frustrating and you'd like the option to go with the bus because in many cases, it's more convenient and more economic to go by bus and and it's good to have that option. 
and uh, you're with a family of three or four people? Four of us total, yeah. Four of you. You know, you could fit four people in a taxi and even consider going from town to town by taxi sometimes from hotel to hotel. It seems like a wild splurge, but try that sometime. If you're in a town and you're wondering, you want to get to the next town and it's a 45-minute drive and you're waiting two hours for the next train and you got to go from your hotel to the station to the station to the hotel, you could go door-to-door by taxi with four people. I've done it from my hotel in Madrid to my hotel in Toledo. And surprisingly, if you divide it by four, it'll cost you $10 more per person. But think of the convenience. Right. We are traveling to Madrid, and then we're going to get on the Ave, the high-speed train to um, down to... Am I saying Sevilla, right? Sevilla? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'd like to buy the tickets in advance, but if our flight is late, how much time should I leave between when our flight arrives and when our train leaves? to try to be safe because I don't think that 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 is refundable or transferable to another... So you're flying into Madrid and you want to catch the Ave de Sevilla on the same day. Amanda, what would you advise? What time do you you get in in the morning or in the afternoon? We get in at about noon, 11.50. About noon. I'd just say do an evening train. I mean, you could do a 7 o'clock train. Exactly. You might end up killing a few hours just walking around or sitting in the train station, but it'd be Rather better than to stress, be safe than sorry. It's yeah. a big city, and you may have be delayed getting into the town or whatever. If you have a reservation for a... Or you could leave your bag at the station. What's the Ave train station in Madrid? It's Atocha. 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 Well, if you if you check your bag at the Atocha train station and walk around for a couple of hours, mm-hmm. you've got some exactly. beautiful things within walking distance there. You've got the Reina Sofia. You've Picasso's got the next pr- to you. Prado. You've got all sorts of... You can see Guernica. You can go to the Retiro Park. So I would give yourself a few hours of sightseeing in Madrid just because the Ave trains, if you do get a discount because you buy it in advance, it's not refundable. That's my greatest fear. So I'm so glad I got to talk to you guys today because it was absolutely perfect timing. Yeah, Federico has another uh, tip for yeah, you. I just want to say that there are family seats. You know, there was actually, mm-hmm. if I'm not wrong, in most of the coaches, rows number two and three are for families. They have a table and, and actually two people facing the other two, you know, a family of four. Mm-hmm. And those tickets are even less, less expensive. I remember, I, much more cheaper. I, I'm so glad you mentioned those. I didn't see those on the Runface site. Hmm. They are actually uh, the Ave, it. specifically the Ave trains. Ave trains. Okay. There you go, Joan. Okay. Good luck on your trip. Thank you very much. Thanks for your call. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Amanda Buttinger and Federico Garcia Barroso. We're talking about getting around in Spain and picking up on this high-speed train business. I remember it was an eight-hour train ride from Madrid to Sevilla. Now mm-hmm. it's three or four hours, and you can stop over in Córdoba along the way. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Conveniently, mm-hmm. the train from Madrid to Sevilla stops in Córdoba, and you could just check your bag and give yourself five hours in Córdoba and carry on and be in Sevilla in time for dinner. Now, once you get to Sevilla, you're in Andalusia. One of the big charms for me is the route of the Pueblos Blancos. Would this be a case where you'd want to rent a car to have more mm-hmm. flexibility? Because this route of the whitewashed hill towns, these are small towns and they don't have train stations and the bus connections might be a little uh, The bus sparse. connections are sparse and the schedules might say... 12 o'clock and it will leave at 12.45 or it's already left at 11.45. So you never know with the bus schedule. Right? Yeah, the bus schedules are pretty tricky. So you might want to consider that rental. Yes. And Federico, when you're in the south of Spain, you can also remember to hop over to Morocco. And it's surprisingly easy from a transportation point mm. of view to getting to Morocco. Yeah, there are many ferries going every, every hour. 
from Spain to Morocco. Did you go a, from Tarifa? Is that the best city? Or Tarifa, from G- Gibraltar? What? Actually, Tarifa. Tarifa has yeah. uh, many, many more departures. Tarifa is the right place. Mm. And it's also a relatively cute little town that you could, you know, make a little stop in and, and enjoy the town. Because Algeciras is the big industrial city where mm-hmm. you have the industrial mm-hmm. ferries going across. But mm-hmm. I think Tarifa is the cute town. And from there, they've got mm-hmm. the fast boats, an hour mm-hmm. and a half or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you are in Tangier. It's Morocco. It's a, it's a whole different world. We're talking about transportation within Spain. When we think about driving, I literally remember when there were no freeways in Spain, and now they're everywhere, just like there's bullet trains. When we're talking about Spain, we've got the Autovia. It's the equivalent of the Autobahn, the, mm-hmm. the super freeways. And these are, you pay a toll. You pay What's a your toll. advice for using the Autovia smartly, Federico? It's, well, you, you pay, you just have to pay the toll and uh, rent a car. And, and you know something, we really have good, good Autovias in Spain, all over Spain. The only thing is that nowadays the train is a priority because it goes faster and mm-hmm. easier. You know? I have to say that nowadays, I mean, the infrastructure in Spain, the whole network is actually quite good. And the autovias are really, really good in Spain. I mean, we don't have any more of those old roads that we had before. And it's actually quite convenient for independent travelers, you mm-hmm. know, to take any of those autovias, taking you everywhere. It's clearly signed. Exactly. I mean. exactly. So if you like to drive, mm-hmm. you've got beautiful freeways, uh, you do play tolls, but that's kind of a blessing. It's safer to be on the freeways. It's less, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get from A to B really quickly. You'll save a lot of money in, in gas mileage just because you can go so efficiently on those freeways. It, I think it makes up for the tolls you'll have to pay. Spain is huge, Spain is varied, Spain has so much to offer, and when you understand its public transportation, and if you know how to drive smartly, there's plenty of ways to get around conveniently and efficiently as well. Amanda Buttinger and Federico Garcia Barroso, gracias. Gracias. Thank you. More of your calls to 877-333-RICK are just ahead as we're joined by more guides from Spain to look at interesting day trips you can take from Madrid and the flamboyant traditions of Andalusia in the south of Spain. Now that we've established how Spain's convenient transportation options make it easier than ever to reach beyond the primary cities, you can use Madrid as a centrally located home base to explore some great sites within a few hours of the capital. Let's check in now with tour guides Jorge Ramon and Francisco Claria. Jorge grew up in Malaga and now lives in Madrid. Francisco comes from Pamplona. They both proudly show visitors around their country, and they bring us tips now for memorable side trips from Madrid. Thanks for joining us, Jorge and Yo, Francisco. Welcome. welcome. So we go to Madrid. Of course, you got to see Madrid. It's the modern capital of Spain. But you also want to use that as a springboard to get out and see some sites nearby. Jorge, you live in Madrid. Mm-hmm. If you had a visitor who had you know, a week to be headquartered in Madrid but wanted to be sure to get out and see the most interesting things outside of the big city in mm-hmm. Castile... What are the top four or five sites they would want to see? For sure, Toledo, mm-hmm. El Escorial is one of the one, mm-hmm. Salamanca. Salamanca. Yep, Segovia. Yeah. And uh, if you are Catholic, you should miss uh, Avila. Avila. Now, why would that be if you're Catholic? Because it's the birthplace of Santa Teresa from Avila. Also, a lot of pilgrims are going to Avila for that. And, uh, and if you're into medieval walls, that's another good reason to go to Avila. True. That's so true. you've got yeah. St. Teresa, yeah. incredible and medieval walls. the walls. And some good nun pastries. Don't you have some Gemmas, uh, the jokes. Yeah, tell us about this. All over Spain, you find convents are cranking out great sweets. Yeah, 
it is a way for the nuns to survive. <laughs> so a- the actually, they're actually helping to pay the rent by baking and selling their well, cupcakes. Well, they don't pay much rent because... Uh, well, whatever, cover their costs. Yeah, cover the costs and everything, yeah. And it's a way of making some money. These are very popular in Avila. It's called and, the, the Yemas de Santa Teresa. Y-A-M-A-S? Y-E. Y-E-M-A-S. Yeah. Now, these are egg yolks. Pure egg yolks with tons of sugar in now, it. Tons of sugar and yeah. egg yolks. Mix <laughs> yeah. it together, bless it, yeah. pop it in the oven, and, and you've it got is. yemas. And it will be in your side for the rest of your life. Now, I, I'm fascinated by all of this monastic cooking and sweets, conventional sweets, mm-hmm. I think they're actually called in Spanish. Yeah. And they have a practical way to just use all of their materials efficiently because I understand they use the white part of the egg for starching the material. that They do, yeah. And you yeah. have the yolks left over. Yep. So you might as well cook up the yolks. So yeah. there's three reasons to go to Avila. Francisco, uh, Jorge mentioned Salamanca. Now, Salamanca is a little bit farther away from Madrid, but it really is worth the trip. It is. It's an extremely beautiful city. Probably is the youngest city because it is a, where we have the all international universities. It's a, if you're a young traveler, it is a place to go. That's what I felt when I was there. It's like a university town. Yeah. We have the language department of a Spanish uh, university. So if you want to learn Spanish, the good way to go is to Salamanca. Okay. It is a vibrant city. Vibrant is, is the word when you yeah. think Salamanca. Mm-hmm. And also, it, it's famous for having the greatest uh, Plaza Mayor. Yes. The great square. Plaza Mayor is like main square of mm-hmm. any town. Yeah. Uh, Plaza Mayor, it's uh, where the life of the city goes on. What's the best time of day to go there? And, and what sort of social action well, will you see? The best time is not the day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's put the afternoon, very late afternoon. Late afternoon. It is the moment when all the kids are out of school, out of college. So you have kids from every country in the world coming to Salamanca to study, and they party. When we think about kids partying, it's like alcohol. No, no, they just mingle, and they talk, and you have all of these different accents, and they're all happy. It's vibrant. There's a joyfulness. There's even a local sort of music group that is famous in Salamanca. Oh, La Tuna. (laughs) (laughs) What was that shudder for? What was that? La Tuna. La Tuna. It is uh, (laughs) these guys dressed in black tights with like a mandolina uh, guitar and they go singing and people in Spain we hate them. <laughs> we Why, are say. they annoying or what's the deal? They are annoying. Because they're just always kind of begging, aren't they? They play and beg. Well, the thing is that what they really do is they go seeking for the girl and they all sing very well. And well, they, that's why you don't like them. They yes, take the girls. They They're get so the girls. romantic. <laughs> for them, not for us. <laughs> they, they dress in very uh, dashing, sort of uh, yeah. Don Juan, old uh, classic like, kind of How ways. do you imagine a Don Juan? In a black velvet, you know, <laughs> puffy pants and a little cape with ribbons hanging. It, it ugh, gives me goosebumps. No, okay, so, Jorge, we got Francisco's <laughs> honest uh, reaction to the tuna bands in the Salamanca. What, what's your reaction to La Tuna? Uh, they're very cheeky. <laughs> they are very, very cheeky. cheeky. Yeah, because they don't beg money. I mean, they almost demand the money of you. And all they do, when you see their capes, uh, you see shells from places from all over the world. And they have been traveling all over the world of the money they've been getting. Is that right? By, oh, yeah. Because if you're going to have a wedding, Wedding or a party before your marriage or any kind of a get-together, you can hire a tuna band. Oh, you can, yeah. And they claim to be students from different faculties, from the you know, yeah. pharmacy or yeah. uh, journalism, whatever. So it, it has you, you see a, some of them, they are like 40 with white hair. Yeah. Are you a student? Are you really a student? <laughs> so a lifelong, uh, yeah. because they're supposed to be this noble, struggling student troubadour kind yeah. of uh, image. But actually, that's a fun little vocation for a lot yeah, of musicians. Yeah, true. But you do, it's a fun part of Salamanca. One thing I remember from Salamanca is on the main square, it was the paseo time. Everybody was out, 
mm. it was actually organized where the boys were going clockwise and the girls were going counterclockwise. That's in the old times. In the, in the old times, like yeah. And yeah. everybody could check everybody out in a very yeah. systematic yeah. way. And that was especially in summer because Salamanca is very cold in winter. Yeah. And when the weather improves, that's the way they used to go around. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about side trips from Madrid. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Kurt's on the phone in St. Joseph, Missouri. Kurt, thanks for your call. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, very interested in uh, following uh, Don Quixote de la Manca <laughs> and uh, the train. <laughs> and uh, I've heard so much about it, and I've, I really would like some idea of an itinerary, uh, day trips, basically, out of Madrid into La Manca, maybe starting at certain, you know, what villages like Consuegra to start with and going on and maybe ending up in Cuenca. So La Mancha, is, as I would say it, La Mancha is Arabic for parched earth, isn't it, or something yeah, like Yeah, exactly, this? different colors of the earth. So it's yeah. very dry, and, and it's famous for its windmills and its ruined castles and its dusty towns, and this is the Don Quixote route. Jorge, what are some ideas uh, if people... Well, if you have a car and you mention a little place called Consuegra, I hardly recommend that because uh, it's breathtaking when you approach the town from the freeway and you see the skyline of the mountain just topped by the windmills, the old-style windmills that still remain there. So anybody heading south from Madrid on the big auto route there, the uh, N4, is going to see Consuegra uh, yeah. on the yeah. right-hand side as you go down. And you have two ways, but uh, I highly recommend you to go first to Toledo, which is on the way to Consuegra. Uh-huh. Stop in Toledo, find what Don Quixote made in Toledo, because uh, it's quite a few things, and continue to Consuegra. Okay, Francisco, any advice on La Mancha and Don Quixote sightseeing? I think the most beautiful part is that one. This right. is the typical windmills. That Obviously, I've... there are much more places, but for, yeah. for a day trip. For the typical tourist, yeah. Consuegra is so easy because it's just, you see yeah. it from the freeway, and you yeah. go up there, you can drive up to the little top there, and you can look down over the town, and you've got the ruined windmills and the castle mm-hmm. you can tour. True, yeah. How does that sound there, Kurt? It sounds wonderful. Does the trail go east from there? Toward Cuenca, is there more to see, more windmills and so on, further on up on like uh, N420 or anything like that? No, not in Cuenca. I mean, if you want to see the windmills, just go to the area Consuegra or keep going south. I think it's very evocative from a history point of view, but physically from a sightseeing point of view, I don't think there's a lot there beyond Consuegra. Hidden places, you have to know where to go. Boy, well, thank you very much. That, uh, that certainly gets me Jorge, in the right direction. Wait, wait a minute. Jorge knows a hidden place. What would a hidden place be, Jorge? Well, you have Puerto Lapice over there, a little bit further down, which is the, supposed to be the posada where Don Quixote stopped uh, okay. quite a few times on his ways up and down the La Mancha. And actually, there is a monument over there to Don Quixote and Sancho Panza as well. And it's a very pinturesque town. It's what called town is Puerto Lapice. Puerto Lapice. Is if you go down Madrid, uh, the A4, I think it's in the kilometer number 125. 125 uh, yeah. kilometers south From of Madrid. Madrid. So yeah. about 70 kilometers south of Madrid. Good luck, Kurt. Thank you very much. Thanks for your call. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Carla's on the phone in Kihei in Hawaii. Aloha, Carla. Aloha. Uh, you've already recommended visiting Avila, so my question's more about getting there 
we're going to be staying in both Madrid and Segovia. So should we visit Avalon a day trip from Madrid or Segovia, which has the easiest travel connections? Use the bus. Either, either. from Segovia or yeah, Madrid. Or Madrid yeah. You know, that's a very interesting point because Americans tend to go on the train, and there are some good fast trains, but mm-hmm. we underestimate the efficiency of the bus system in Spain. There's a very, very efficient regular service. The buses will go uh, many, many departures. They're very inexpensive, and I think they're scenic because you go through the towns. Yeah. When you go in a bus, you get a view from a higher place. It's slow. You go through beautiful places. Very good for the scenery. And they're very comfortable. Uh, they're very practical. Would you, if you were, let's say you're in Madrid or Segovia, you could just go to the bus station and find out when's the next bus. There'll be one in an hour and uh, maybe, you hop on. Maybe the next 30 minutes you have next, one. Yeah, so, and you can just buy the ticket there. You don't yeah. need to make a reservation no, or worry about that. And you can make a reservation if you want to, but, but you, if you can buy a ticket up there. You know, a lot of tourists, we don't speak the language, and we're not inclined to do things on the internet very well, so mm-hmm. we can just go to the bus station yeah. and yeah, fake so it. For sure. All over Spain, I think. Yeah. yeah. yeah in all, all the cities, you have good bus stations. Carla, does that give you some ideas? It does. Thank you. Mahalo. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. We're bypassing Madrid right now on Travel with Rick Steves to investigate some of your options for interesting side trips from the capital of Spain. Our guides, Francisco Gloria and Jorge Ramon, are taking your calls at 877-333-7425. If you'd like more information about planning a trip to Madrid, you can search our earlier interviews about Spain in the show archives on our website. Start with program number 315A. It's from June of 2015. Carlos is on the phone from Dallas with a suggestion for something we should all try to see next time we're in Spain. Carlos, hello. Yes, hi, Rick. How are you doing? Doing good. Uh, this trip is a little bit further than the others mentioned before, but it's such a wonderful trip. It's going to see the prehistoric art in Cantabria. It hmm. is incredible to be able to go to those caves and see face-to-face with this magnificent art. And I also think it's one of the few caves that you still can go to see prehistorical paintings. That's right, because a lot of the precious prehistorical art that's twenty or 30,000 years old has uh, been open to the public for a little while, and then all of the humidity and uh, the excitement and the flash attachments of the tourist sort of uh, deteriorates the art more in, in one decade than it had been in 20,000 years before that. Consequently, at Altamira and at Lescaux, you have copy caves yep. where you can't go to see the real thing unless you're a special uh, scholar. But yep. the tourist groups can go to see the perfect copy cave. But now, Carlos is talking about Canta- Cantabria. Cantabria. Monte Castillo, is that what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. Yes, uh, they have, I think, three or four caves. Uh, I went to see all of them. It's probably the, most, uh, the best experience I ever have on any trip. It's amazing to see wow. that now, art how do we get, right there. Uh, Jorge, from, from Madrid, how do you get to Cantabria? Where is that? Well, that's not a day trip. It's no. more than a day trip. Yeah, yeah, where are we talking in Spain here? Uh, it's in the north. In the north? In the north, yeah. Okay, yeah. so this is in the area... Of when you look at the map, it's just above Madrid by the... Uh, but it's way up by the north coast. By the north coast, yeah. Okay, Cantabria, yeah. That's near Altamira. So yeah. Altamira would be the most famous one, but yeah. uh, Carlos is talking about one that's not as famous as Altamira. It's actually the prehistoric art at Monte Castillo, C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O, in Cantabria. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And uh, thank you, Rick. Thank you for uh, the tip there, Carlos. Happy travels. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye now. 
we're talking about side trips from Madrid, and maybe with Carlos, you need a, a private jet or something for maybe. The, 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 <laughs> Spain's a big place, and that's yeah. way up in the north. But really, that's a that's an area that a lot of people don't get to very much. A lot mm-hmm. of the pilgrims come by on their way to Santiago, but uh, but they don't stop to see some of the prehistoric art. So we're talking about side-tripping from Madrid. We've talked about, uh, well, Toledo is the most important city. That would be the historic and artistic and spiritual capital of Spain. Yep. we got Avia with the wall and the St. Teresa. we got uh, Salamanca. Also, you've got El Escorial, and you've got the Valley of the Fallen. Mm-hmm. In the short time we have left, Francisco, if you're thinking about El Escorial, what are we talking about there? We have an extremely beautiful monument, 16th century, when we think about the Reconquist, you know, we have the Catholic kings and we need to have a symbol to show off, you know, that mm-hmm. we are what we are, the Catholic kings and this Catholic kingdom. And that is El Escorial. El Escorial, so El Escorial is this sort of overbearing, big, mean-looking building that really shows the power of the church. Exactly. I mean, And this is El Escorial. El Escorial. It's a monastery, but it's also a palace. It's a palace. From an austere king. Mm-hmm. And is it, you're talking about the Reconquista, but there's also the Counter-Reformation mm-hmm. because the Spaniards just really stood up against the whole Protestant Reformation. True. They yeah. were the big power that was Catholic. Yeah. And uh, if you were a Protestant, uh, modern kind of reforming sort of Christian and you wanted to think of who's the enemy, you might really think El Escorial. Well, all of the cathedrals and, and all these monasteries, they really tried to make you an, a point. This is it. I this mean, is the only way. Yes. Yeah, I mean, but Rick, keep in mind one thing. Escorial, when it was built, and we're talking in the 16th century, besides the Egyptian pyramids, it was the biggest building ever built. Wow. Up until those days. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, the way I understand it, there's, there's not much else built in Spain during that generation. So much of the energy went into mm-hmm. building this El Escorial. Yeah. And it, it was built because of the winning of a war against the French troops. Is that it right? It was the San Quentin War, yeah. Oh, okay. It's built in the shape of a, of a grill, isn't it? It is. And he's dedicated to St. Lawrence, who was burnt in a grill. So he was, he, St. Lawrence was grilled. He <laughs> yeah. was a martyr, and he was yeah. actually grilled. And yeah. that was his, the symbol of his yeah. martyrdom. So this biggest building in Europe at that time... No, was in built, the world. In the world. Besides the pyramids. Oh, wow. Was yeah. built in the shape of, of St. Lawrence's yeah. grill. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. Uh, yeah, And then speaking it. of powerful stuff, we've also got the Valley of the Fallen. True. Now, that's a different this, power. That's a whole different <laughs> a time. Different power. That's a different, but Spain had this horrible civil war in the 1930s. How many people died in the civil war? Uh, well, it was estimated about under two million people. About two million people. Yeah, but certainly the, there's no uh, official, there's no official number. About and it, the, yeah. you talked about the biggest building in the world. I think by some measures the biggest church could be this incredible underground memorial that was built. Well, you know, there's a little anecdote about that because you know in the Catholic world there is a non-written law that no church in the world should be bigger than St. Peter's in the Vatican. Yeah. Franco's idea of that grandiosity he thought he had, he digged the church inside of the rock, and it was a third larger than the Vatican. A third larger? And you yeah. step inside today and no, you look at that. No, but you know what happened. The Vatican said to him, hey, <laughs> you know what you have to do. So officially, the church is like um, uh, 300 meters from the entrance of the tunnel, from inside. So there is a fence over there, okay. and officially the church is from there. So a technicality, they could get away with that yeah. then. Yeah. And uh, it's, so that's underground, but it's capped by an incredible granite cross. Oh, yeah. yeah it's on top of the cave. 130 meters. So that's 400 feet tall, yeah. a granite cross that you can see from miles and miles away. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the four evangelists in the corner of the base. And then at the, right at the front of the church, right where the high altar would be, is the wonderful Christian martyr. Francisco Franco. 
and the and the founder <laughs> and the founder <laughs> of the phalanges you know? <laughs> and the founder of the fascists in yeah. Spain yeah so yeah. The, the fascist dictator yeah. treated like a christian martyr almost in here and of course it's technically a monument to all the people who died in the civil war but they're buried on the side yeah, yeah. and yeah. good old franco is right there oh is it a powerful sight for Spaniards to go there? To Fra- what do you think when you go to Franco's tomb? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, well. well, the thing is that we all have... Uh, I'm 41. I, I was born when uh, Franco was alive. He died when I was uh, three years old. So I don't... Personally, I don't know anything about Franco. What I know are the stories that my grandparents told me, and both of them fought in a Spanish civil war, one with Franco and the other one, my mom's, against Franco. By the way, they hated each other, of course. And... Uh, Depend who you go with, which grandpa. If you go oh, with yeah. so my dad's grandpa, it's perfect. It is a holy place. If you go with my mother's uh, father, it's like Whoa. hell. <laughs> so you go with your grandpa, and it's to remember Franco. And yeah. when you go with your grandma, it's to make sure he's still dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rick Steves. We're talking about great Spanish sites within an easy day trip from Madrid. We've been joined by Jorge Roman and Francisco Gloria. Thank you guys very much, and uh, I hope to see you in Madrid. Thank Thank you. Let's head next to the soulful south of Spain to explore where their most passionate traditions come from in Andalusia. Ole! It's Travel with Rick Steves. All right, name some images that set Spain apart from other countries. If you picture flamenco dancers, women wearing lace mantillas, and the pageantry of the bullfight, then I'll bet you'd enjoy seeing where they all began and still thrive. That's in the far south of Spain. We're joined now by tour guide Concepcion Delgado from Seville. She'll escort us into the stylish traditions of the region of Andalusia. Concepcion, buenos dias. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. How is Andalusia different than the rest of Spain? Well, according to what everyone says, we are, like, friendlier, more open. We, like, they say we are lazier, but that's what they say. I don't think that's true. But that's the cliche, no? That Andalusians are always having party, having fun and all that. But probably because um, our weather invites us to be more social. It's sunny and lovely outside, so you feel like going out with friends and have a beer here and there. Uh, I feel so. that when I'm in Sevilla. <laughs> I mean, everybody is out. It's like every si. day is a festival. Si. It's too hot to stay at home. Let's yeah. go out and walk around. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in uh, Barcelona uh, during Easter time, and there was a big parade and a wonderful float and uh, all of this beautiful Holy Week ritual. And the people in Barcelona said, oh, that's an Andalusian float. Uh, we don't celebrate with that much enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that. But all over Spain, Andalusia is is where the most ritual and the most festivals would be. Is, is that your understanding? See, I think so. And besides, when one thinks of Spain... Uh, the truth is that what you think of is what, what was born in Andalusia, no? like the flamenco or like the habitude or, of being outside and the idea of bullfighting, no? which is stronger in the south. So what you associate with Spain is mainly coming from the south. Exactly where is Andalusia in Spain? We call Spain the skin of the bull, no? something like that, and we are the very south. The three big cities, from a tourist point of view, might be Granada, Cordoba, and, and, Sevilla. and Sevilla. Being Sevilla, the capital of Andalusia. How would you distinguish between the three great cities, Sevilla, Cordoba, and, and Granada? Well, to me, Sevilla is the city with the strongest character in the whole country, not only in Andalusia, but in the whole country. How so? You come to Sevilla and... There's a soul. 
Sí, there is something. There's a word in Spanish for sí. that. Du what is duende? The duende, sí. No, I think you can feel it. And so when, what, what does duende mean as a person from Sevilla? Duende, el duende is, is like magic, no? It's like there's magic here. There's something happening that can just feel it. Where would I find it? Would I find it in a procession, uh, in a flamenco bar? It's tied to the flamenco mainly. The duende is more tied to the flamenco, but to me there's duende in a summer night when you're walking along the banks of the river and suddenly that breeze <sighs> makes you feel you're alive. You're there and there's magic in the air, no? It's like there's the duende. There's something that captured your soul suddenly. If you could live anywhere in Spain, where would you live? Sevilla? No question. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no question. <laughs> no. And when you think about Sevilla, I think if you want the traditional Sevilla, in a lot of ways you can go... Over the river on the south side? Triana. Triana, is that? Triana is, is like a different world. They even consider themselves to be apart from Sevilla. When you read about Sevilla, and even writers refer to Sevilla and Triana. Is they that don't, right? They don't consider Triana to be part of the city. So it's a proud traditional culture. I was in a bar the other day in Triana, and I was having my tapa when someone walked in, and the waiter said, what are you doing here in my town? <laughs> Across the river. See, see, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was also watching a TV program like two months ago, and there was a, an interview to traditional uh, neighborhoods in Spain. And there was a boy from Triana, uh, talking, he was 16, and he said that the first time he went across the river, he was 13, because his mother was like, horrified. Don't go over there. Don't go. Don't go to the city. The city is dangerous. Yeah. Like, stay in the town. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Andalusian culture, specifically in Sevilla. And we're talking with Concepcion Delgado. Concepcion, every day when you're working, you take groups of tourists around your town and, and you want to share with them the uniqueness of Andalusian culture. What are some of the implements of the culture? You've got the, the fan, the flamenco, the mantilla. We have a lot of, let's call them accessories, because uh, when people see them in shops, I think they're like souvenirs that we only sell uh, for visitors, when actually what a visitor will do with a mantilla, no? Uh, those are things which are incorporated in our culture because they are incorporated in our festivals, and festivals to us are sometimes everything. So talk about the fan, because the fan is almost a language and uh, it has great meaning. Well, there's not a language anymore, but it's something, uh, let's say, fundamental in the summer. It's too hot, so everybody shakes a fan, plus it's an accessory which matches your outfit. So we use it very often, every day. It's something that you have in your purse every day. But in the past, yes, of course, when boys were not allowed to talk to girls, but there was a language that they could... With the fan. With the fan. And but so, still, you can tell. No, what a woman is doing with her fan, you can tell. Well, she's nervous or she's, I don't know, in love with someone or she's happy or she's uh, like bored. You can tell by the way she moves or she shakes her fan. No? How so? If you're interested, if you're bored, if you're excited, how, how would you know? I mean, if you're like excited, you shake it very quickly. Or if you're nervous, you know, you're shaking that around you very, very quickly. But if you're like bored, it's like slow movement. No, it's like not so. Been there, done that. Yeah. Move along. Yeah. Not so interesting. Hmm. What about the mantilla? The mantilla, that's something that can be used all over the country, not only in Andalusia, but for us is incorporated in the Holy Week. So not only in the Holy Week, but also in the Feria. So everybody has at least one of hmm. each color, white or black. These, these are the, uh, what is the material? Una mantilla is a veil. It's a very soft and delicate thing made out of silk when hand embroidered can be priceless. Uh -huh. And uh, that's why those accessories, when so expensive, normally go mother to daughter. So it's part of the tradition still. And it gets tied to the head with a comb, very big comb. That's what you tie to your head. And on top of that, you have the veil, 
which is very elegant. The comb is designed to hold up the, the veil, which is the mantilla. Exactly. And that would be mostly during flamenco time or April Fair? Holy Week, well, Holy both, week. both, but in different color. During the Holy Week is in black color because it's a sign of respect and mourning for the dead of Jesus. So we wear it on Thursday and Good Friday. Not only the mantilla is black, but the whole outfit, the dress, the purse, the shoes, everything is in black. But during the feria, it's white instead. Hmm. When women attend the bullfights, they can wear their white mantilla. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Concepcion Delgato about Andalusian culture. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Ken's calling in from Chilliwack in British Columbia. Ken, thanks for your call. Thanks for having me, Rick. And hello, Concepcion. Hello. I guess I just had an anecdote about Spanish culture. I was in Ronda, Spain this last summer, came off the train as you do, walked past the middle of town and saw they were setting up some bandstands and didn't really think too much of it. Saw the bridge, did the hike down to the bottom and back up. And all of a sudden I was in the middle of a Renaissance fair, it seemed like. It was uh, the 1st of June and I couldn't find any listings for what what it was for, but it seemed to be only locals, and it was like a local cultural Renaissance-style fair. Everyone was dressed in kind of the clothing of the day, and they had little stands where you could buy sangria by the mug, porcelain mugs, and they ended up just giving it to us as a as a little memento for free. It was, it was amazing. Did you know uh, in advance about that, or did you just stumble into it? I just totally stumbled into it, and, and I honestly do a lot of research before I go to places, and even since then, I couldn't find out what exactly it was for, but, you know, doing something like that where it was only really locals, I, I have to say it was like uh, myself backpacking alone, I bumped into two French Canadians, and it was the three of us, and it seemed like everyone else was just all locals, all dressed up for the day, and they just uh, welcomed us in, even though there wasn't too many people speaking English. We kind of sign language our way through, and hmm. just amazing food and the drink as well. So it was only about food and drinks? Nothing else was happening? It sounds silly, but they were doing a almost like a game where everyone was in a circle, and they were throwing this pot as high as they could in the air and catching it. And it was seemed to be a game of who uh, was the one to drop it. Ah, <laughs> um, so like a water a balloon. a bunch of gentlemen... Yeah, like exactly. A water balloon it was like a porcelain pot. So, well, you know, Rhonda is famous uh, mostly for uh, bullfight culture. It's got the home of the oldest arena in the country, isn't it? Mm-hmm. See, it's one of the oldest. Yeah, Rhonda is a beautiful town. Did you have any opportunity to experience flamenco in your travels? I did actually. I had an overnight stay in Sevilla, Spain, and I went to one of the casual flamenco bars, and it was amazing. Concepcion, wouldn't you agree, if you're going to do one flamenco concert, it should be in Sevilla? Si, si, si. The, the big question is, do you want to go to a tourist show or to hear it just in a bar somewhere? What, what do you recommend for tourists going to Sevilla to enjoy flamenco? I would absolutely recommend something professional, like a show, no? But uh-huh. there are bigger and smaller shows. There are very small shows with a very cute atmosphere where they can enjoy something very nice. But of course... It's always more exciting when you have the chance of seeing people dancing spontaneously and you can even participate of that. So going to a bar where the music is flamenco and you know locals like it and sooner or later they'll dance, they may even invite you to do that. I think it's something that you cannot easily forget. Oh, yeah. So that would be the the ideal is to find a a family festival going on with flamenco. To me, it just feels like every person in Sevilla or Andalusia is like waiting for an excuse to dance flamenco. See, 
and there are many excuses because we like having a lot of parties now, like a birthday, a wedding, a first communion. It's a perfect excuse for a flamenco party. We were filming one time and we came to some sort of a festival and the festival was just finishing and there was just people sort of almost cleaning up. And I just said, oh, with our television camera, it would be so nice if we could see you dancing. And bam, everybody jumped back in. It was like, sure, we'd love to. <laughs> it was not like asking a favor. It was a blessing. No, no, it's no, no problem to ask for that. I mean, <laughs> no. people are willing to do that anytime. No, no problem. Hey, Ken, thanks for your call. Thank you so much for having me. Happy travels. <laughs> and Jim's on the line from Martinsburg in West Virginia. Jim, thanks for your call. Thank you, Rick. Uh, hi, and uh, hi, Concepcion. Hello. So my question is, when I took Spanish, our teacher was from Mexico, and the book's author was from Paraguay. So I'm wondering, is Latin American Spanish that different from Spanish Spanish? Or I'm kind of concerned, would I be laughed at if I tried to speak Spanish uh, the way I was taught it? That's a very good question, because a lot of Americans learn Latin American or Mexican Spanish, and then they go to Spain, and it is a little bit different. Uh, Concepcion, to your ears, how does it sound when an American comes over speaking uh, Mexican uh, Spanish rather than Spanish Spanish? To me, it sounds fabulous, and they want to try. So just the... The idea of trying, to me, sounds fantastic. It doesn't sound weird at all, because even in Spain, we have very many different accents and way of speaking. So I can tell when someone comes from Barcelona or from the islands or uh, from Madrid. You should never feel scared or concerned about that, because we can perfectly understand. That's good news, Jim. Mexican Spanish. To me, actually, the Mexican accent is one of the most beautiful in Latin America. So I would be very happy to hear your Mexican Spanish accent. Concepcion, can you illustrate the difference between Andalusian and Castilian, which would be around Madrid and uh, Mexican? Uh, is there one phrase that is different in each? That I mean, just the sound of the, the accent? Well, the sound is very different, but we don't speak Andalusian. We speak Castellano. Oh, you do? Okay. Uh, because we don't have a language nor even a dialect. The mm. Andalusian is a... It only gives us a license to do specific things that they don't do in the rest of Spain, but um, such, as. <laughs> such as we drop the final consonants, for example, because we speak faster and we have too many things in mind all the time. So to go faster, I don't, I do never ever pronounce a final consonant. You would never hear in Sevilla a waiter or a receptionist saying "Buenos días." Bueno día, because okay. the final S doesn't really count. It's, you run it together, and you that would be a little different than Madrid? Of course. In Madrid, will be buenos días, or uh, gracias, uh-huh. while in the south of Spain, we would say gracias. Jim, thanks for your call, and the good news is you can uh, speak your Latin American Spanish with gusto, <laughs> and uh, people like Concepcion will actually think it sounds charming, and they will sure. certainly welcome your interest in speaking Spanish, regardless of the accent. Absolutely. Thank you, Rick. Muchas gracias. De nada. <laughs> This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Concepcion Delgato about traveling in Andalusia. Her hometown is Sevilla, and Sevilla is a great jumping-off point for enjoying uh, adventures all over the south of Spain, which I think most people figure is where you have the quintessential Spanish culture, the flamenco, the bullfighting, the, that sort of paseo love of life. Everybody is out in the streets. Uh, I can't. Every time I'm in an Andalusian town after dinner or in the evening, the streets are packed with people, and you wonder, is it a festival? No, it's just Wednesday night. Everybody's Mm -hmm. out. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Bruce is calling from Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. Bruce, thanks for your call. Hello, Rick. How are you? Great. Thanks for your call. I was going to mention that the beach towns between Malaga and Marbella are just a wonderful place to go. Uh, We stayed at a little place called Terra Molinos, 
That's a lovely little beach town with a great beach and restaurants on the beach and a little shopping area. It's a wonderful little place. Now, this is the Costa del Sol, which yeah. is everybody in Spain's favorite uh, sort of beach getaway. It is very uh, touristic and, and lots of timeshare condos and that sort of thing, but the weather's great, the beaches are wonderful, and you enjoyed Tormolinos. Yeah, we enjoyed it a lot. Question for you, if uh, we decide to go back that way, Wondering about the the Muslim influence in Spain, we've heard quite a bit that there's a lot more Muslims in Spain and France now than there used to be, and I'm wondering if that has any effect on the tourism. Concepcion, what is your take on the Muslim impact on the culture and, and how a tourist might be aware of that? Well, I think you can mainly notice in the architecture the influence in the language that the Arabic had, right. you can tell. But if you don't know Spanish, maybe you cannot tell there is a difference in the, or, or which words are exactly uh, coming from Arabic language. So, Bruce, Concepcion is, is referring to the fact that for 700 years, uh, Spain was uh, a, a Muslim culture uh, during the Moorish period, which That's lasted right, until I 1492. Yeah. I think Bruce is talking more about just this generation. There's a lot of immigrant labor coming in from Africa, I see. Uh, in France and in Spain. And I know when I was in your city, there was actually the first mosque that had been built, I think, since the end of the uh, uh, Moorish period. Uh, that was built in Sevilla, um, a modern mosque with a, a Muslim community there. Is there a tension in South Spain with uh, more and more Muslims, or do you figure it's more of a media thing that people are misunderstanding? Mm, well, it depends, because there are towns where you cannot feel it. In Sevilla, for example, there is not a big immigration. Oh, it was or, Granada where I was, where see, the new mosque was. Yeah, and there's right. a big Muslim community in Granada. See. And now that you mentioned, I've never felt the Muslim presence in Sevilla. Certain areas have more Muslims, See. and uh, Muslims are integrating into the uh, society. And it's important to remember that there's there's extremists within Islam, but the vast, vast majority of Muslims want to go about their lives like, like anybody else. For many, many centuries, Spain was not very diverse culturally. Well, you worked really hard to get rid of all the Muslims exactly, and all no. the Jews and everybody else. <laughs> you you had rid, to be Catholic. We got rid out of everyone, and uh, that worked out till the 18th century. So right. for centuries, there was no one else there. It was uh, So to me, it was like visually, it was a big impact for my eyes when I started traveling and I started seeing the diversity of people. Now that's changing in Spain as well. We are receiving more and more immigrants, so we have a growing Islamic population. And that is visible in some towns. They are immigrants are settling in towns where they can work in the fields. So in some towns, is reaching at twenty five percent of the population. Well, in big cities, for example, in Sevilla, if you have no papers, you cannot work. That population is not that big. So in Just Sevilla, a couple of percent. See, Bruce, thanks for your call. Very good, thank you. Bye. Yep, Concepcion, it's it's been so fun talking to you. And you're traveling around the United States now. And earlier, you mentioned if you could live anywhere in Spain, it would be Sevilla. When you return home, what's the first thing you're going to do to celebrate your back in the place where you belong? For us, friends and family are everything. So as we all live relatively close to each other, you know you'll have the time to talk to everyone again, to go for a beer, to just enjoy a walk, to go here and there, to know that there will be life and people everywhere. And that's what I miss a lot when I travel as a kid. There's no bar where I know I can go and I'll meet friends and suddenly someone will walk into and I can talk to because people like love that social life. It's vital uh, for us to know that friends are there, family is there and is your home. And Sevilla celebrates that and even if you're a visitor you can enjoy. That's, you can, that's you can, you can. Festival of good living. See, 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 you just walk by, there are squares 
full with people all the time. And sooner or later, someone will come to you and will offer a beer. Why not? And, you know, people can say, well, yeah, everybody loves life and everybody's out having a beer. But there is something special about Sevilla. I have to say, every time I go there, it's... it's uh, intoxicating sí. without even drinking the sangria. <laughs> sí. Concepcion Delgado, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by yours truly, Tim Tatton, with Sarah McCormick and Isaac Kaplan-Wolner. We get technical help from Andrew Wakeling and Dana Bublitz. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank. When you're traveling, you can find out when other stations air Travel with Rick Steves, Look online for our affiliate listings. It's in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, freshly updated this year, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks and phrasebooks for Spain, Portugal, and every other corner of Europe. To learn more about Rick's books for Iberia and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.